The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Oh, yeah. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. <laughs> you what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Good Tuesday. It is the Tuesday after Final Four. It is Masters Week and a very, very yep. huge day for the Sandoz family. It's a huge day. Tuesday. Huge Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge day. On this date, every day. 11 years ago. Do you want to know? Ah, yes. Yeah. Yes. The the young lady with a city named after her, J.C. Sandoz. Yeah. Yeah. I remember 4 o'clock in the morning, my wife waking me up. Um, I think my water broke. I'm like, yeah, I think we probably need to go somewhere. Probably need to go to a hospital. Yeah. We did. And it was uh, about 2 p.m. We, uh, you know, she came into the world, so we woke her up this morning as I yelled very obnoxiously a happy birthday song. Ha! As uh, she is kind of like, I uh, imagine Keith Brake and college kids not wanting to get out of bed early in the morning. Correct. So, uh, Correct. Yelling and screaming, but uh, happy birthday to JC. She'll never hear this because she does not listen to my podcast or care about my podcast. But anyways, thought I'd get that out of the way, and then we'll jump into... Uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, mm. The portal watch is slowed down. More people are going in. Few people have landed in the Southern Conference, so want to pay attention to. No, yes. No Buccaneers have landed and no transfer uh, portal commits, although, again, we wouldn't speak about that anyways. We would just point you in the right direction where to look. But right now, uh, don't see any. So a lot to talk about there. I thought the, the Final Fours were – spectacular for two different reasons on the women's side i thought it was the most compelling storylines bar none going and then on the men's side it was sort of uh who are these people and why do they keep winning but it was entertaining to me i don't know about the rest of the country but i, I two different ways to get there or to skin the cat is whatever they like to say although i don't recommend skinning cats i am not going to and i will bring hands at you if you do i have cats or cat i have a cat and plan to get another so Great. Uh, it's mittens, and I can deliver it uh, anytime you want. Does mittens do well with other cats? It's a great question. I don't know. I that would be my only concern not, because not, we already have another one. Not been around other cats, so I'm just trying to get rid of mine. Uh, just kid. I kid. <laughs> Hopefully mittens didn't hear this either. All right. Um, talking. Let's start with the women's because it was one of the most watched, if not the most watched, I think. It is the most watched uh, college sports event. I think ever on ESPN, nine point nine million viewers. Yeah, it was it was incredible. the 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 Elite Eights, the Sweet Sixteens, are the Elite Eights were great. The two semifinal games were phenomenal. The championship game was the worst out. Of, not that it was a bad game. It was the worst out of the three. It was one of those. It was tough to watch because some of the officiating. Was there were a couple just, of Elite yeah. Eight games that were like that too. True. Uh, South Carolina Maryland was like that. Yeah, that was. Yes, there there were there's some things there that uh, I, I think need to be addressed on the the women's side of things. That being said, I thought it was phenomenal. Um, Final four, I thought LSU. You know, they just have so many weapons, and for Iowa, it was Kaitlyn Clark, and I, I know a couple others can help out, but for the most part, the storyline was could Kaitlyn Clark kind of will her team uh, to a championship. 
she spent some time on the bench, had the technical foul. Uh, Reese spent time on the bench as well, right? Yes. And then, and then you know, um, but she uh, – Mulkey, uh, Kim Mulkey's done a great job of um, getting away uh, – finding some sort of person that lays out all those outfits. Let's just go over that off the bat because I don't know who spends time finding the uh, – what, what did you call them? The, the Disney villain? Disney villain outfits. Yes, yes. yes. They were incredible as In usual. In tears at the end because her Dalmatian coat didn't fit. Yeah, I mean, it was th- – those outfits were incredible. She had to remake the entire roster. Um, you know, they were not very good early in the season obviously hit all cylinders when they needed to able to win a championship i think now she's right she's behind gino and pat for most national championships I believe sounds she's right third all time with four um or she's not alone in third i think she's tied for third but either way she's behind you know two outstanding legends um i it was it was great to watch i think the ending has gotten way too much play um for I don't know what you want to call it, the uh, the antics, the showboating, whatever. I mean, just that's taken over what was a great women's NCAA tournament and a great women's, I thought, Final Four. But mm-hmm. And I may be one of the few people that could care less. Uh, if, if we don't have more stuff to talk about than um, ladies exchanging, um, you know, hand gestures and pointing to ring fingers, I think we just need to move on. I mean, I, I'm just – Who cares? Who, yeah, yes, I really – I mean, Christmas. let a, let them do it. You know what? Uh, I have absolutely no problem. And with it. the only person that uh, I've not seen Caitlin Clark say anything, but everyone seems to be trying to defend her, and I feel like she doesn't need to be defended. No, she did a whole three-minute piece uh, going into the Final Four about hand gestures and some of the her antics and how she pumps yeah. up the crowd, and it was like the. It was very well spread on everything that she does, even to how you hold your hand to do the John Cena, you can't see me. So I think she was not offended by that whatsoever. Uh, The pointing of the ring finger uh, has been going on from the beginning to the end of championships when they started handing out rings. Yeah, Could Reese maybe have not followed her? Sure. But, you know, my theory on this, if you don't want somebody to wave your hand in your face and point to a ring finger, don't lose a game. Yeah. That would be my theory. It's like if you don't want somebody to do an epic bat flip on a home run, maybe don't throw a big, meaty changeup right down the middle like a putt. You know? (laughs) If you don't want somebody to jump on your logo at midfield, don't lose at home. Agreed. I I, I don't know. Agreed. I mean, it's a pretty simple formula. If you don't want people to do things to you, then... don't you, You have two options. You can either not do it, in the first place and then get like if, if you're doing that stuff you, you have two options you can either not do it at all and then you maybe have a little bit of leeway to get indignant when somebody does it to you or you don't lose to that person like those are pretty much your only options and Kaylin Clark has been very very um expressive as a lot of players have throughout this tournament Haley Van Lith was another one at Louisville yes. uh, that pro- probably talked a little bit more than she should have um, but Caitlin Clark's been very expressive throughout the tournament, very demonstrative throughout the tournament. So another player giving her what some people would would consider a taste of her own medicine is fair game. Yes. Now, if she had been like super quiet, humble, right. not super expressive about it, and then Angel Reese gets in her face, then we have a problem. Like then it's a problem. But if you're going to do that, then be prepared to get it back when you get beat. 
So that I'm I'm fine with it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I can't believe it's gotten as much as it has. And the other thing is, it's kind of marred both ladies, uh, you know, because now people are almost picking sides or taking shots at one another. I feel like more kind of defending Clark, yeah. um, only because you know, I guess the way she she waved and did it was, uh, you know, it was kind of one and done type deal. You know, wave it in the face, move on. But still. She gave a three minute. I've watched the the piece. If you haven't found it, there's a couple things on Twitter. Like they, they talked to the, some the of whole people. exchange has become a culture war think piece, and I just I hate it. Yeah, it's just it's you just know, it's basketball. It's two Leave them competitors alone. Competitors that competed. That again, I don't think Clark has said a word or was offended by any of it because it's and people something have, that yeah, happens and absolutely. they have made out to be and for it. For the tournament to that to fall on, I think that this is why social media sometimes is bad. Yeah, like oh, it's, get yeah. a life. If that is if that is consumed all year yesterday, and every time I try to <laughs> click on something, I was like, oh, why man. is this showing again? I, I would rather have a conversation about the officiating. Like yes, the, the technical foul on Clark was flimsy. I know that it was like, oh, there, there was a warning and they were following the rule. It's like, do you think they were gaining a competitive advantage by Clark not immediately passing the ball to the nearest official? No. Sit down. We're not here to see you. Right. Your Nobody paid $400 to, for a get-in-the-door ticket to see the officials be bozos. And I, I hope that this, is, this sparks a larger conversation. But the one that really galled me is that Kim Mulkey should have been ejected from that game multiple times. She was in Iowa's offensive sets more than once. She was out on the floor. She put hands on an official, Jay, which if... If anybody in the men's game touched an official, it would be headline news across the country for days. That should be the takeaway. Those officials failed to do their job adequately. They were clearly not ready for that magnitude of a moment. And the NCAA needs to do better by its showcase event. Listen, if a if a mid-major conference can't afford better refs, you know what? Sometimes it happens. I, I mean, I'll I'll be blunt. I saw some really poor officiating in the SoCon this year. Now, I didn't always see poor officiating, but there were times, like, when it was bad, it was bad. And I expect more of from a multi-billion dollar organization that puts on these events than I do from the SoCon. You know what? It happens. Like, it, at our level, it happens. Sometimes you just get who you get, and there's a little bit of luck of the draw involved, or uh, you know you don't have the the financial resources to go out and get better rest. The NCAA should be committing to the best officials possible, and if this is the best you can get for women's basketball, we need to have a conversation about that too. Because holy smokes, those folks were drowning in the tension and the 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 scale of the moment. That is something we need to really examine and, and and have a longer conversation about. Not the, you know, the smack talk, hand gestures, back and forth. Who cares? Give me a long and thought out conversation on the caliber of officiating in the NCAA women's basketball tournament. Because that is a place where you should expect a higher standard, not a lower standard than what you get in conference play. 
especially for the, the teams, because these are all power conference teams. They come from power conference resources, power conference budgets. These conferences put so much money. This goes back to the same thing that set off the conversation about the women's basketball tournament when they had it in San Antonio in the bubble, and their bubble was um, a complete disaster compared to the men's bubble in Indianapolis. Is uh, the level of investment from the NCAA does not reflect how the conferences view this sport. And that is still something that is changing gradually. There are going to be some growing pains in that. This is something that should be changed immediately and can be changed and can be addressed immediately, effectively, and decisively by the NCAA, and I hope they do it. There were so many questionable, I mean, just hand checks just I mean I, there were so many like wow like you know the thing about basketball I think frustrates people is you can have like a bloodbath you know inside the paint in the second that somebody is touched you know 48 feet away from the hoop they blow that whistle every time and yeah oh. it, it's out in the open I get that but that, there's nothing that drives people crazy. and then you hope the NCAA tournament and we talk about this Specifically, a lot when I talk about Southern Conference Tournament. You know, the game is called differently. You don't get a lot of that. They want to let players decide the game as much as they can. And, yes, you get a couple of games like the Western Furman game where there were an absurd amount of whatever. But there's just a lot that in the the Final Four, and you're right, that I forgot about the Maryland game. There were a lot. Yeah, there were Even the Indiana-Miami game, even going further back. I mean, there were a lot of, like, some of the calls were – the the officials you try right the best officials you don't notice them they're not in the way exactly you know men's basketball last night I particularly you know I knew who the three guys were but I particularly noticed them a lot you know they just kind of go and there was yeah there was one in the South Carolina Maryland game where I think it was Beth Mowens I think said that's a tough way to pick up your fifth foul and uh, it's like that's ESPN speak for that's the biggest pile of crap I've seen all season from an official that was awful yeah. like that's that they like you can't. You can't go in on them on a national broadcast like that, but like it was bad. It was really, really bad. There yep. were some. There were some doozies. Yes, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of foul. And again, a lot of major players in a national championship game, which people wanted to see, were sitting on the bench because of foul trouble. Hundred percent. So it, it it was bad. And even with that, it was still better than the men's game. It was the the the. <laughs> The semifinal, the Florida Atlantic, uh, that was awesome. San Diego State, that was, was really a good, ridiculous game. That was as good as they could have asked for. Scripted, game-winning shot, all the things that, that went into that. Um, Miami UConn was a, uh, semi-competitive at times. Yeah. Last night's championship UConn game was semi-competitive. Was just, they just they turned a corner. UConn, were, I mean, were they trailed. double digits every win? UConn, I think, right? trailed for a total of five minutes and twenty-two seconds in the tournament. I think they won every game by double digits. I mean, yeah, they just I throttled everybody. Right. So, I mean, it was it was hard to watch. I mean, the you know, lots of missed shots, lots of foul calls, um, and lots of flopping. I, listen, I have witnessed a walleye pulled out of a lake into a fishing boat, fighting for its life, struggling to breathe, literally drowning in oxygen. That did not flop as much as those two teams did last night. And I think p part of this, part of why it's gotten this bad is it's not about the penalties, right? It's about the shame. We, we've been too nice to people. 
We've been too nice to teams. We've been too nice, maybe to individuals at the NBA level and even to the college level. Flopping is for losers. It's a loser play. It's a loser play made by losers who think they have to do it or they'll lose. And it's their only way to win. It's ridiculous. The, the, the air conditioning kicks on and you feel that breeze, you fall over. Somebody grazes you with a shoulder, you fall over. You come hard off a screen, you throw your head back like you got hit. You, you throw up a terrible shot that you know has no chance of going in and you fall over like you got hit by Legolas in the chest from 100 yards because you think you could get a foul call even though there was no contact and you try to bail yourself out of a bad shot. It's embarrassing. There was a point where I really wanted to turn the game off because I watched somebody flop their way, just, just bla- brazenly flop their way into an offensive foul. And I was like, this is pointless. And it's people think that, you know, soccer has the worst problem with embellishment. And at least soccer like happens at like super high speed with referees from distance. You can you can give a little bit more fault for errors in judgment or efforts to deceive the like this is the the refs right there. Sees the whole thing. Like what are you what are you trying to pull? And sometimes it even works. That's probably the worst part. I think we need more shame for flopping. We need more shame for embellishment. Offensive flops, defensive flops, it doesn't matter. Call people out when you see it. Because it's it made that game last night even harder to watch than it already was. I think you should have been around Southern Conference when Francis Alonso was playing for UNCG. Uh, he would he would do the dribble and just throw his head back. And it was a foul every time. I've seen like, I've seen a ton of guards do that. I was like, well, now it's again it's supposed to be illegal. I, I hate they got rid of the flop warning because now it's a technical, it's a one shot technical. But the problem is, I think the officials are trying not to give technicals, which I give them credit. Yes, you shouldn't give a lot of random technicals, but you took away the warning, which was at least a way to say, hey, look, we saw the terrible flop. Yeah. Don't do it again. I agree. And then that stops it. But now they've gone with the technical. So now, if you're a semi-flop, they don't want to tee you up. They they tee up the egregious flops, or supposed to. We've seen a few of them this season. Not a lot, but we saw a few flops this season called as technicals. Yeah. But that that rule, I, I don't that, believe, is in the women's game, and it needs to be. Right. Uh, no, it's not. And I agree. I think the men's game should go back to give a warning because at least it – you can stop the game. You give the, the signal, hey, you flopped. We saw it. Stop it. And then for the most part, you know, you don't see that player doing it again. So at least you get – because now it's like, all right, it's like the third, fourth flop. Okay, fine, now i got to tee up. Well, we could have eliminated that if we would have called the, the flop the first time right. and just gave the warning because it's a flop warning. Who cares, right? It's kind of like the delay, the delay of game warning you get maybe once a game that never matters unless you're in the NCAA. Unless you're Kalen Clark in the NCAA. And, and, and you're, the, you're the best player – in college basketball, who gets teed up randomly. Other than that, no. generally you don't see it a lot. So I, it, it is it's a problem. Yep. Uh, that I and, think. And if that's how we have to do it, fine. My my, I've always loved the idea of you know don't whistle it and let the shame of flopping and being out of position on defense, which I did see once. Um, I saw a Furman player flop when ETSU went down there, and then ETSU went bang 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 in two seconds and scored, and that player came out and didn't play again. Um. 
So like just flopping on a three-point shot where you go up and it's you know it's not a good shot. You have no chance of it going in. So as you're coming down, you put your heel down on the floor and you push yourself backwards and you go wee sliding on your backside and you're completely out of the play. Like I would I would love it if that were the punishment that would stop people from doing it where you're out of position on defense going back the other way after you miss a terrible shot or you're out of position and you give up a layup because you're on the floor because you try to draw a charge and you clearly embellished it. I would love it if that were the extent of the punishment, but clearly it's not enough. And I don't even think rule changes are necessarily what I'm looking for here. I'm just looking for call people out when you see this stuff and shame them for it. And maybe, maybe peer pressure will be enough to get people to stop doing stupid stuff that, that takes away from the spectacle of the game. I call them floppy McFloppersons when they do it. That's yeah. not enough. That's not enough, though. I, I've started calling them out, too. Yeah. I, I mean, she's not in the league anymore. She's in the transfer portal. Aaron Haupt flopped a lot. Especially when, like, early in the SoCon season. Like, the, like, like, as the book got out, it's like, hey, five is going to embellish for Mercer. You just need to keep a close eye on her. And she started getting fewer calls. She started doing it less. But uh, early on, like, it was egregious. Just every single shot falling over, stumbling backwards, leaning in, trying to get contact. And I saw a few other players do it. Andrea Bailey injured herself doing that. She aggravated a knee injury, and she had to come out of a game, and her team probably lost to ETSU at Sanford because she did that. Like, that was... And it derailed her season because she was... She didn't play in the next game, and then, you know, you end up in a situation where you draw ETSU in the SoCon tournament, and you know you're a bad matchup for ETSU because they were beating them in the first half before Bucks lost two starters uh, here, and then they went down there, and ETSU beat them, and Neve Brown completely neutralized Bailey and ended her college career, possibly prematurely. So, I mean, th those things have ramifications. I just wish those ramifications were enough to get people to say, hey, quit doing this. You look ridiculous. Stop it. And you make the whole sport look ridiculous and uncredible. And this is it. This is at the collegiate level. It's at the NBA level. It's in the WNBA. It has become pervasive. And it's time to crack down on it as hard as we can, not just in the rules, but also in the culture of the sport. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. As you can tell, I, I'm fresh off my coffee this morning. I'm pretty revved up. Speaking of revved up, Lamont Paris is revved up to make Citadel north at South Carolina. The Citadel is, yes. Uh, Stephen Clark has been called up from the minor league affiliate in Charleston. <laughs> That's a great way to work. Yes. Uh, he's been called up from AAA, the Citadel. Um, no, uh, Stephen Clark has transferred. Uh, it says announced a commitment to uh, the University of South Carolina. And he's going to play for the Gamecocks. And I'm very interested to see how that works. I, I will say, I feel like, I don't know that he's ready for that. I I know he's shot Well, blocker. he's going to have to get ready. I know. And, I've, you know, he's fallen in the footsteps of Hayden Brown. But Hayden Brown was a big, physical, strong, aggressive guy who believed in a weight room. And Stephen Clark... I, I'm not sure if he can lift his water bottle. So I think it's going to be a hard 
wow transition for Clark. I mean, what is he generously listed at? Mm-hmm. Like 6'11", 205? Like what, what is – have to – let's see. What is he? He's officially listed at – Clark is 6'8", 200. Mm. So I, didn't, I, I gave him more weight at 205. That's a little bit – that's a little lean. That's uh, – for the – that's, that's SEC. Yeah. You'd probably uh, love to see him put on 10, I mean, is he 10 playing, pounds in the is summer. Is he a three-man? Because he was known for shot blocking and, you know, back-to-the-basket type play. So if he was a 6'8", kind of tweener shooter guy, I'm like, okay, you know, maybe size, you know, he could stay outside, shoot some. But I'm assuming that's not why you're bringing him. Yeah, I, it's like in. if he puts on 10 pounds, I think you could put him at the four. And he's kind of your shot blocker can post up, uh, can do some other things, free your center up to do some interesting stuff if you want to get physical with somebody. But, yeah, I, I don't know I don't know that I would say he's a starter. I do think he can be a useful player, though, in Columbia. Uh, elsewhere, yeah. um, Mercer has landed the commitment from uh, Robbie Carmody, a graduate transfer out of Notre Dame, hmm. who played there for four seasons, uh, sorry, five seasons. Um, he had redshirted in 2020-21 with a torn ACL. Um, but he, uh, well, I guess it was actually mid-December of 2019. He and then he had a setback with it. Um, but he didn't. He's been pretty banged up his whole college career. He's the 2018 Gatorade Pennsylvania Player of the Year in high school, and went to Notre Dame, played there five years and now has one year of eligibility left, and he's going to use it in Macon. And Mercer needed guards, 6'4", 205, out of Mars, Pennsylvania. Well, we talked about it last time. Kamar Robertson, a guard left to go to Western. There's some other guards in the portal. Daniel Craig, the big man, 7'3", or 2", depending on what site you look Mm -hmm. at. He's going to play at Tennessee Tech, I believe a team that's got to come back to Johnson City uh, next year as a part of a home-and-home. So we'll see uh, big David Craig again. Uh, and then I think that was it. I don't think there was really a whole lot of movement. There well, was... Chattanooga had a couple players go in. Okay. Um, so Walker, Ledford, and... Corsalt. Oh, yeah. Is in the portal as well for and Chattanooga. And I think there was one more, wasn't there, for him? Ashton Smith, the little guard. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yep, they got four. Uh, ETSU folks have not, uh, according to anything that I've seen, all eight have not landed anywhere um, yet. So, man, that, that was really about it around the league. Hasn't been a lot. Um, it's kind of slowed down. Mm-hmm. You know, I, Furman just had the one in Joe Anderson, and not yeah. really anybody else has, has, has jumped in there. Besides, of course, I, I guess in the last – couple days Chattanooga's had two go in yep. where they had two so they've doubled from two to four but not a lot in, yeah know, overall it's land. it's yeah. slowed down quite a bit now it's just uh, where do they land that's uh as the portal grows to what would you what'd you say it was 1500 give or take 1200 uh 1248 according to verbal commits 1248 and so. that includes players that have landed places so 1248 transfers Yes, and that does not include the JUCOs that have transferred. That does yeah. not include. So let's let's just, let's just ballpark that, shall we? So let's say mm-hmm. there are thirteen scholarship players on every team. How many walk-ons do you think a typical team has? One, 
I'd say one. One across the board. I'd say the average is probably one. So let's go 14 players per team. There are how many teams in Division One? It was like 360 or something. I believe it's, I want to say it's 362. Yeah. I'm going to verify that via the net right now. It is 363. Okay. So 14 times 363 is 5,082. So there are 5,082 spots in Division One college basketball, men's basketball. Women's basketball is considerably more. Uh, so 1248. Over 50-82 is 24.56%. It's almost a quarter of all the spots in college basketball are turning over. That's a lot, man. But also it doesn't account for... It's not just players that are thinking like, well, I have another opportunity elsewhere. Grass might be greener, blah, blah, blah. It's also uh, players that were told they don't have a spot players who graduate transfer because they've fulfilled their commitment to the university, like Stephen Clark um, did with VMI, like, um, or I'm sorry, not uh, not Stephen Clark, like Clark did with the Citadel, um, Jake Stevens did with VMI and went to Chattanooga. Like those guys are in there. Um, there are a lot of players that have COVID years that they're trying to utilize and they just want to see what's out there. And a lot of those players might not land anywhere. You never know. Um, so it's it's uh it's still a lot. It's a staggering amount of players in the transfer portal. I do think that over the next couple of years we will start to see that number drop and by 2026 or 27 that number could drop precipitously just because there will be significantly fewer players in the system by that point. Yes, the the COVID years going away is going to help Number one. That's going to help calm a lot of this down. Because a lot of the grad transfers that are jumping are because of that. So that I think 100% uh, is – well, that will 100% go down because there won't be any COVID years. So that uh, – <laughs> I'm pretty good at math there, aren't I? So that will go down. Yeah. I also think as people figure out the transferring more than once deal, right? Right. And we'll see how that kind of – shapes out plus to be honest with you the ncaa still trying to look at legislation and how they do the um nils and how all that kind of works out with mm -hmm. the monies and this that and other so I, I think it'll change i think the wild west will slow down and i think people are starting to figure out that they're getting left behind i think a lot of times Oh, I'm going to go power five or I'm going to go this or I'm going to get extra mm -hmm. money here. And I think and they don't, they're realizing that, you know, out of shocker, people are lying. Now there's also people that are contacting guys and gals that aren't in the portal that are getting the, Hey, you can make much more here. Or are you unhappy here? There are a lot of things. We saw that uh, matter of fact with Elijah Hussey, where uh, somebody called coach Taylor was like, Hey, do you think he could play here? And he had to tell him, well, He's not in the portal. He's still on our roster, and that's illegal what you're asking me to begin with. Mm. Like, you can't – now, Elijah did go to a school that was not uh, the one that did it. North Carolina was not the one that called before somebody thinks I'm um, uh, calling out uh, North Carolina where he ended up landing. That was not the school Yeah, that was. But he – I remember talking to Billy Taylor. He said, I, I, this, is, this is where we've gotten where people are just calling me now to ask me about my current players that aren't in the portal that aren't he said if they're in the portal and they go and they want an honest opinion i'll be glad to give them an honest opinion but like you can't call me when they're in the middle of the season 
and on my roster. Yeah. Like that's yeah. that's going on and you're just you, you know it is and it's I'm not saying it hasn't happened before. We all know it has, but there's clearly um in today's world um it's going on nonstop and yeah. they're and, and dangling the, carrots and aren't I real. I think there's this argument is like, well everybody does it so you can't publish punish everybody. Yes you can. Punish everybody. Do it. Crack down on it. Because if, if we're going to have this sort of transient rosters that we really need to put up, and the NCAA can put up guardrails on those things where certain forms of contact are impermissible and doing that or being caught doing that, especially with their new uh, presumption of guilt policy when it comes to NIL violations, you can really throw the book at people. So do it. And, and, and here's my other thing. And if... Everybody, right, so, uh, oh, everybody cheats on their taxes. That's, that's a classic one, right? Right. So or it's you, like speeding. Everybody, so, everybody, everybody right, right. speeds. So when you get caught, you're upset about it. Well, don't be upset if you know that everybody's doing it and there's a chance you're going to get caught. Like, if you do get caught and you do get punished, then don't do the woe is me, everybody's doing it. Yeah. Okay, well, everybody maybe is doing it, but guess what? You got caught, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. You got your hand in the cookie jar and got caught. You're the one got pulled over speeding. Or Uncle Sam checked some of the write-offs she did that weren't legal. Like uh, this, if you do get caught, I hate the well. So and so, well, great, great, and, and that's the one thing I got a chance to uh, Pat Ford, um, forty or whatever. Uh, yeah, uh, ended up doing a, a symposium with him last year, and so it was Debbie Antonelli and Pat Forty, and we were talking with a bunch of assistant coaches on the top connects with Dr. Sanders deal. And I happened to ask him because it was a part of the question where coaches get to ask, you know, basically either Debbie or Pat, you know, things about coaching. What should they know? And Absolutely. I, yeah. And then there's things that they didn't answer on. I said, okay, well, what happens, Pat, when somebody sends you something that says, hey, you know, so-and-so's cheating, but they don't want to put their name on it? And he's like, well, he said what's even worse is a lot of them say, hey, you know, you know, so and so's cheating, and I'm like, well, how do you know that? Go, well, you know, no, no, I don't know. So, do, what do you know? Are you going to tell me? So, don't call and tell me because you missed out on a recruit, they're cheating, and you want me to write some story about them cheating when you haven't given me anything that says they're cheating, and you're not going to put your name on it, and your whole stick is, well, they're cheating. And then he used several examples of like, hey, this coach said this that, and another, and then they got caught, and then I wrote a piece, and he says, well, I can't believe you didn't write about this that, and the other guy. Well, they didn't get caught, and you've not told me that they've cheated. You've just you've just said they've cheated. Well, right. great, you've said they've cheated. What have they done? Like, don't use me and media as you're mad and you want to blast somebody else because they get caught. Maybe they are cheating. More likely, they probably are because you are and everybody else is, and that's fine. But don't don't do that. And so that's what I hate is when and you know fan bases are notorious like. Oh, they're picking on me. If somebody else did it, well, yeah, we know they cheated. And then if they don't, you know, I, I use the example for Tennessee fans when Bruce Pearl on his, uh, you know, the cookout, the famous cookout. Yes, the that, infamous that, cookout. That, that cost yes. Steve Forbes his job that, that was the best thing that ever happened at ETSU Athletics because he eventually became the head coach at ETSU. Yeah. So a lot of that was, well, I mean, everybody else. I mean, okay, all right. Well, Notre Dame got caught the year before, and you were hammering them on what all they did wrong, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, it's not that bad. I mean, it was a cookout. It was a cookout. It's not that bad. Well, you broke a rule. I don't care if it was a cookout. First, it was his second violation, which is the biggest thing. The other thing is, is – once you get caught, right, the the number one thing is, well, somebody else is doing something worse. 
<laughs> that's it, that's that's a you problem that you got caught that you did it that you knew that that is illegal so i have it's happening it's going on if if you get caught don't complain don't just take your medicine and move on don't you know if you want to turn other people in and bring everybody down with you great i don't care i mean does that make you a snitch and everything probably but if you're if everyone else is doing it and you're going to bring down the whole ship bring down the whole ship other than that uh, and Absolutely, i was amazed yeah. with the basketball the 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 weird fbi thing that was a big deal that ended up not being a big deal that ultimately people are like why are we wasting federal dollars because basketball coaches pay players like why are, yeah. why, why why are we wasting that? Then uh, some of those assistants are no longer employable. But Sean Miller and Will Wade both have head coaching jobs at Division One, and pretty much everybody that, at different schools, but they still have Division One head coaching. That jobs. was really named in all of this stuff. Just mm-hmm. eh. and then you know the NCAA takes three years to do an investigation on a coach and then penalizes a team for players that weren't involved with that. For I mean, it's just such a horrific system that we don't need to we could give all the flaws but if you get caught just take your medicine you know you cheated i don't care if everybody else is doing it you're doing it you're willfully doing it just take your medicine also there is no benefit to cooperating though i will say on the other side there's no benefit to cooperating with the ncaa that you don't get a lighter punishment from them for being like here's all the evidence here's all our communicators all this here's all that it's the you know Come back with legal force if you want these documents. Yeah, just do what Arizona did. Just throw a bunch of money at it yeah, and so just uh, just keep going. And uh, don't know what you're talking about. Don't know what you're talking about. You, yep. Nope. You, 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 you want it's it's the uh, it's the old come back with a warrant mentality. It was basically the NCAA can't make you testify. Right. Right. So they can't make you compelled to do anything. Mm-hmm. That's why it was huge in the FBI case when they eventually said they weren't going to have the head coaches on the stand. And that's what the NCAA wanted. They were like, get them on the stand so that if they lie, A, federal prison's on the table because that was a federal case. But when they eventually didn't have the head coaches go there, then the NCAA knew they were screwed because they were hoping mm-hmm. uh, that they could get that and it would cost them on that front. But All right, transfer portal. As, as we do. We always... Uh, down the rabbit hole we go. Yeah. Yeah. What else you got? I got one more thing. One more thing? Are you the uncle from Jackie Chan Adventures? One more thing! Jackie Chan Adventures was a great show, by the way. I love that show. I'm sure you do. I do. I mean, how do you not love Jackie Chan Adventures? Jackie Chan Adventures. I do like Adventures. Yes. And you like Jackie Chan. I do like Jackie Chan. You probably right out, like, just past the age wheelhouse for Jackie Chan Adventures. But you like Jackie Chan and you like Adventures. So I'm going to take that as a win. Speaking of Adventures, uh, the Dungeons & Dragons movie is good. (laughs) Okay. It's good. It's a good, it's a fun, light romp. Um, You don't really have to, like, it's enhanced if you know a lot about D&D because it's set in an established... D&D setting uh, in the Forgotten Realms, but you don't have to know that going in. It's just more satisfying for you a lot of the stuff that happens. Like, oh, they're casting this spell, so that means that this character has to be at this level to have this spell slot and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, like all that stuff. Um, that is like second level, subtextual stuff. The movie is The movie is fun. 
Did Matt movies. McClung do a preview for it? I think they. Yes, he did. Yeah. Uh, Duncan and Dragons. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, after the FAU San Diego State game, where he goes, he goes one on one with a displacer beast, and then he spin moves on an owl bear, and then he dunks over the big pudgy red dragon that's in the movie. And I was just like, this hobby's come a long way. Make your money, Mac. Way. Make your money, Mac. Get the bag, Mac. Hundred oh, percent. Get the bag. Pride of Gate City. All right. Let's go. Uh, I don't even know how to transition from Dungeons and Dragons to spring football. Um, I was trying to think of a good way. I, I can't. I, I, the the Bucks rolled the dice and beat the Bucks. I don't know. No. <laughs> I mean, uh, one of the teams had to win, right? Anyways, uh, spring game first play. Did you have on your bingo card Tyler Rodell seventy seventy five yard touchdown run? No, I did not either. No, he rolled a natural twenty on his athletics check. Yeah, so he... Uh, <laughs> There's your segue, There we go. There There's we go. your segue. Well, I knew you'd get me one. But uh, that was first play. Uh, then Javon Henderson came back, picked off a pass right after that. There was some... It, it's hard. Again, spring into hard. Plus, the wind at some point just got ridiculous. Like yeah. the 40, 50-mile-an-hour... The, uh, the goalposts got knocked askew on the north side of the field. Yeah, that was... I'm glad we were in the booth. But uh, Yeah, they, me too. There was... Some positives, some negatives. Spring games are hard for me because, like, for defense, they were playing a few guys from different positions to see kind of, you know. Chris Hope played linebacker all spring. Sounds like he could potentially move back to safety at some point, but now has the flexibility to do a lot of different things if they need to get creative with sub-packages. Yeah, uh, Zach West was playing middle linebacker, right? Yes. So he's probably going to be more on the outside. So it was some – some different players for depth and as they're trying to bring in more guys offensive line has a couple guys coming in so some different line combinations there um did see four different running backs carry the football did see the ball spread around to some different receivers Mm -hmm. uh saw some creativity the jet sweep touchdown to anaj carter the the triple option touchdown that was called back uh to tommy Tommy Winton. winton yep yeah, a big fan of Tommy Winton. He made, he made a really nice catch that was called back because Rydell was called in the grasp, but uh, for being touched. Yeah, it was it was in the back corner of the end zone. I don't know that it was necessarily a true fade route, but it was like really well done. Like nice acrobatic catch. He does a barrel roll. He sticks the landing and uh, gets it down in the end zone for a touchdown. That was really nice. And then the option was really nice too. But uh, Frierson was called for a hold. Yeah, I didn't on that play. You didn't have to bring up biscuits. He Why was, he was biscuits? They lined him up slot left. He was one-on-one, and he held his guy. He did not need to, but he held his guy. You know, that that happens. Well, and, and another great play design that was called back on a penalty now that uh, I just thought about that was the, the Baron May to – Quinn uh, Caballero. Quinn Caballero. 80-yard bomb design. that was like – Into the wind. Yeah, into the wind. It was probably what – 40 yards in the air, give or take. Yeah, and, and it was the way the ball should have been. It, he was so wide open, it was like, we don't want to miss him. So uh, he just kind of laid it out there uh, and let uh, Caballero grab it, and then he outran uh, Tyler Rainey, I believe, to the end zone. It was That was a nice play design. Defense you know, made it tough. Um, so, again, it's one of those weird things, all right? Defense had trouble making stops on third and short, but made a lot of stops on third and short. 
but then that also turned around. Look, well, the offense didn't make any third and short. So <laughs> it's one of those. Uh, spring yeah. game's tough for me. It's tough. It's tough. Uh, you know, Adriel Clark, who's a big, tall receiver, was able to make a couple of grabs, one in traffic, uh, yep. one on a sideline that was a pretty tough play that used his hands while he was getting hit. So, um, I mean, there's a couple plays that, that kind of stick out. Overall, it's a spring game. I don't get too much out of the spring games. I mean, they had four guys – predominantly carry the football Bryson Irby started the game I think you get more of what you need rather than like what your team is actually going to look like in the fall and and who's progressing you get a good sense of who's progressing and so um, I look at the wide receivers and I see some progress I know some guys got maybe hit in the hands at the end of their at the edge of their catch radius and I asked uh, one of the coaches like is that you know, the quarterback's ball placement, is that the wide receiver's got to make a play? Is it the wind? And uh, the answer I got was yes. So <laughs> It's classic. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so there's there's a little bit of stuff going on in, in all of that. But um, I, I think the receivers are going to be fine. You know, I mean, Will Huzzy is Will Huzzy. And um, you still got Cam Lewis, Caballero, who we saw make had that one just truly magical drive against Samford. I think there's more in there for that guy. Winton is a guy that we might see a little bit more of uh, in, in the fall. And the running backs, I thought, were good. Um, Dendy and Irby, I think, are the guys that are going to get most of the work. And then you're going to see a, a Boris sprinkled in pretty frequently. And he's the guy that moves the best in traffic. I feel like he's not the fastest of the three. If anything, he's the slowest of the three. But his agility, his ability to see where to go and how to get there. When you look at his judo background and his, the ability to, you know, move, keep yourself low and move side to side and be deceptive and elude tacklers in traffic between the tackles. I think he's really good at that. Uh, the guys that you want running around the edge are obviously going to be. You know, Enosh Carter is your slot receiver. You're going to want Dendy. You're going to want Irby going around the, the edges. Irby scored a touchdown against Chattanooga with a really nice run uh, around the left side. So those are the guys that I think are going to get most of that work. But you're going to see Borish contribute meaningfully out of the backfield as well. Um, when I, I asked George Quarles, and he went on the record about this, and, and this quote will be on the Buck Minute on 640 The Sports Monster at some point this week, what, what are you looking for? What do you think you need out of the transfer portal? And he said, we'd still like a quarterback because you, well, and that's just kind of standard operating procedure for a football team. In every recruiting class, you want a quarterback. They did not get a quarterback in this recruiting class via the transfer portal or via high school. So you'd still like to add one. Um, they're still looking for offensive line if they'll take it, but the priority is going to be defense. They want a defensive lineman. They want a couple of linebackers. Maybe one inside, maybe one outside, but kind of just, you know, beggars. You've got some flexibility now with West being able to play both. And they're looking for at least one and probably more like two corners if they can get them. So that's kind of your target list. It's kind of where they would like to go. And we'll see how that list is fulfilled when the portal opens up again. I believe it's here in about, uh, I want to say it's in two or three weeks. It's mid-April, is it not? Uh, I'm going to look. Yeah, you're going to get the official. I, th I thought it's only like a couple of weeks. I thought it was mid-April. It's a, it's a two-week period where the window opens up and new players can go into the portal. 
And I'm trying to find there because it's a specific date. It's not like right after the season ends. It is May 1st. Oh, wow. It's a long time. So the portal opens again on May 1st, and it's open for 15 days. So that's after that's after like everybody has done spring football. Probably because South Dakota State doesn't have an indoor well, they, they do have an indoor practice facility, but they don't have a full size indoor field to work on. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but the Dakotas are getting about uh, 25 inches of snow uh, this week in early April. So it's going to be pretty tough for them to get out there and, and do like a spring game at the end and all that. But they will have an opportunity to have played some measure of, or practiced some measure of spring football. And that will be when everybody's done and the portal opens up end of the semester you have a better grasp of where people are academically as well and who has an opportunity to leave and who might need to stay for a little bit longer and uh, work out some great stuff. But uh, that's when the portal opens up again. May 1st, that's when I would expect to see schools start to be fairly aggressive as you get word of who's going to be relevant in a, in a particular position group and who's not. We'll keep an eye on it. You gotta, you gotta hit the button? I don't know. I'm trying to find it. <laughs> I can't read. Actually, I was trying to read two things. I was reading the 9.9 million viewers we were talking about in that championship game was yes. more than any other women's college basketball game ever, any MLS game ever, any Stanley Cup game since 1973, the 2023 Orange Bowl and Sugar Bowl, Yep. 2023 Thursday Night Football, 2021 NBA Finals, 2020 World Series, the finale of The Last of Us, and the most recent Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, All-Star Games. What is the best championship game ever, any sport? Uh, any New England Patriot last-second victory. Ha! I was going to say the uh, I was going to say the 2010 Men's Hockey Gold Medal Game, Canada U.S. It was awesome. You know, we go 1980 uh, semifinals. Also, yeah, it championship uh, game, well, that wasn't a championship right, game. Also, just like anybody but Crosby. That's right. what makes it stick. Something about Dungeons and Dragons. Buccaneers World Network. Oh, you got to be kidding me.